Well, have you ever seen the Have you ever seen the movie um, When We Were Kings? Mm-mm. It's a It's wonderful. It's a documentary about the rumble in the jungle. This is uh, Muhammad Ali and um, uh, George Foreman mm-hmm. uh, battling in uh, the new founded Republic of Zaire. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Anyway, incredible documentary. It's super fun. Um, and some great moments of George Foreman, some great moments with Muhammad Ali. And they have one of the interviews is with uh, George, George Plimpton, the, the writer and, and Bon Vivant. And uh, he was talking about how different journalists describe Don King's hair in different ways. Like they all came up with their own euphemism for what his mm. hair looked like. And mm-hmm. George Plimpton's favorite was, he looks like a man falling down an open elevator shaft. Yeah, so I was riding my motorcycle up to Lake Erie last weekend, and uh, uh, I really enjoy going through Amish country. Uh, it's just really retro, pretty cool. Mm. You know, seeing all the buggies and stuff like that, and then I was. Uh, going down the road and it was a detour and it's like, Oh, okay, it's cool. I get to go down a road. I haven't been down before. And I go down this road and I see this, this, uh, this place. And it says like Don King training. And I'm like, Don King, like not the Don King, the, the boxing promoter. And I, uh, went and I looked it up on the internet and wound up that, uh, Don King, he's from Cleveland. He went to Kent state, which is by my house. And it winds up that he has a training compound out in the middle of Amish country, about two hours, outside of Cleveland. <laughs> and and I guess it's to, you know, sort of keep people like the guys that he's training, he's, you know, investing a lot of money in them and time and resources. So probably keeping them away from distractions. Sure. And um the other day I was uh, well a while ago I was I was riding up uh, up around there and about 20 minutes from his training compound is Mike Tyson's abandoned mansion. And uh so and, and it was pretty wild that, you know, I never knew that that existed there until I rode past it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just going down the road and it's like farm, farm, farm. And then all of a sudden all this like black, you know, wrought iron gate. Um, and then there's a, an arch for the gateway or the, all this wrought iron fencing. And then there's a, uh, a gate and at the top of the gate, it says Mike Tyson. I'm like, Mike Tyson, not <laughs> the Mike Tyson. And it wound up that uh, he has a mansion there. And I, I guess he bought the mansion um, to live while he was training at the at uh, uh, Don King's uh, training compound, which is about, you know, 20 minutes away. And uh, it's it's has been since then. It was, it was abandoned. Uh, like he gave it up. I guess he had some financial problems and then it got uh, – uh, had all kind of tax things associated with it. So he just walked away from it and it was abandoned for years. Yeah. And – uh, people would break into the the uh, his uh, you know pass the gates and everything, go in the building and take take pictures. And the, you know he still has the tiger cages there. And I was going to um, say the IRS must have repossessed the tigers. Yeah, they must have. Yeah, and and it was it was pretty neat. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes that um, has some of the pictures that people took. But since then, somebody has bought the place, paid the taxes back, and all that, and and it's uh, now a private residence. But it still says Mike Tyson when when you ride past it on the, on the gate. That's hilarious. Right there, yeah. right there in Amish country, right in the middle of Ohio. Yeah, yeah. removing uh, temptation, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, how about you? What, what were you up to? Uh, I was at the Osara conference. Um, this is the these are the custodians of the Veterans Administration's open source 
electronic health record system. Um, so great crowd of people, a bunch of folks I hadn't seen in a while, and they had me up there talking about ways of making money on open source software. Um, mm-hmm. So that it was rough because I had a 20 minute slot and, you know, after 20 minutes only gives you, you know, you can pretty much sketch the problem in crayon, um, but mm-hmm. you, you can't really, can't communicate a whole much in 20 minutes. Um, but it gave me a good opportunity to get to, to try it once. I've never had to give a talk on that topic specifically and certainly not in 20 minutes. And so anyway, gave it lessons learned. Now I can go back and, and get a tighter presentation next time I'm called upon to, talk about that topic again. But uh, anyway, it was good. Got to see a bunch of great people and uh, arrived back in Texas uh, and immediately went and picked up my dog's best friend uh, who said that we're having a sleepover tonight. Nice. Yep. Uh, So my life is full and rich. What's up? What's up with this episode, Dave? What are we doing? What are we talking about now? Yeah, we got we got all kind of fun things this week. We got spying, we got conspiracy theories, calculus in Ohio, Klingons in Illinois, the return of Nirmal, mm-hmm. which sounds like a Star Trek episode, <laughs> um, uh, the ball peen hammer update, uh, and also uh, lug parenting teachable moments. Ooh, I thought that has something to do with Lauren, I suspect. Yes, yes. Excellent. Uh, so uh, where can folks go to uh, learn more about uh, ball peen hammers? Uh, they need to go to dgshow.org. It says D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and let's, say I'm, uh, let's say I'm on my Macintosh computer or on my Windows computer and, uh, and I'm using that iTunes program that people like so much. Can I, mm-hmm. can, I, can I subscribe to it in iTunes as well? Well, only if they rate it with, what, five stars? Six mm-hmm. stars? Yes. Six stars, preferably. Yeah. yeah. But, but we'll take five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, and then cutting room floor, it's a, it's a, it's a light cutting room floor, but it's pithy mm-hmm. this week. I feel, um, yeah. we got Mark, Mark Bohannon, uh, who's the VP of uh, public policy at Red Hat. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote an update on where open source is at in government, uh, which I really enjoyed. And so we got a link to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Mill of the sunlight foundation and friend of the show, uh, did a great post on how to add SSL to your website for $0, um, which is very, very timely given some of the news we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Speaking of the news, Dave, what a bad week to be a public cloud sales rep. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. I mean, they could develop a drinking problem or something. That's, that's right. Or exacerbate, exacerbate the existing drinking problem. I mean, you know, they're sales folks after all. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Uh, well, many things actually, right? Um, you get some stuff with the Indian government, you get this Facebook embarrassment. Um, and then of course, uh, it'd be difficult to ignore the, uh, the NSA news. Uh, but let's start with the Indian government. You found this, this piece about the Indian government is now what throwing out all the U S email services. They're banning the use of U S email services for official communications. So essentially like if, if you are, I guess an Indian government employee, you can't use like Gmail or Yahoo mail or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess then that way they can get rid of all the spying by just eliminating the U.S. because we U.S. does all the spying. That's correct. Uh, yes, right. Um, well, this is the and well, this is the trap, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That it every, everybody is spying on everybody, and mm-hmm. and everyone knows this. Although it is, I don't know. I, I, the decision makes a little bit of sense, um, mm-hmm. if for no other reason than a huge number of very prominent providers are homed in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are subject to us law and why put yourself in harm's way. Right. So, I mean, that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it 
like if the Indian government was hosting in Pakistan, like that would be, that would also be a hard sell, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have, have your DR site there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah, but it's, but it, what it illustrates for me is this, it, and it's happening really quickly. I mean, we're starting to see this like balkanization, right? Um, where suddenly everyone realizes exactly how much risk they've assumed by hosting in these, the relationship can be at times ambiguous or, or not very well defined. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, you have everyone kind of circling the wagons, right? And, uh, and bringing as much work as they can in-house. Um, I think, you know, we're starting to hear this from the private sector and it doesn't surprise me at all to see us doing this in the public sector as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and do you think that people are going to, there was this huge consolidation to move everything to the cloud, but do mm -hmm. you think that that's going to, people are going to be just more judicious about what workloads, workloads they move to the cloud, or is there going to be an uptick in cloud, but it'll be more private cloud? Uh, I think both. I mean, I think both things are going to happen, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think people are people who had not thought about jurisdictions or which jurisdictions their data lives in um, mm -hmm. are going to start thinking very hard about it. Um, I think that's obviously they're going to, and maybe as a result of that greater scrutiny, they are going to take a much harder look at, a much longer look at their um, at their private cloud strategy, right? Mm -hmm. um, but probably, I, I'm sure we're going to start seeing more contractual obligations for public cloud providers. Like people are going to start asking them to do more in terms of like transparency and things mm -hmm. like that. But I mean, some stuff is, some of these problems are like insurmountable. Like if you're a U.S. provider and you get a national security letter, you're not allowed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's interesting is you're seeing like folks like Google and Microsoft are now going back to the government and saying like, you know, listen, we were um, grudgingly helpful before, uh, but mm -hmm. now you're actually costing us money. Um, yeah, this is huge. Yeah, this is a really I mean, big it's, deal. Yeah. I would be that. That's going to really, if you think about the U.S. economy in terms of cloud computing, and that's going to really hurt uh, the United States' ability to you know do the cloud computing. Yep, yep, that's absolutely yeah. right. Um, so, and, 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 and in fact, maybe the net of it may, may actually be uh, much more adoption of stuff like OpenStack, right? Which mm -hmm. which hopefully allows people to get maybe not the same economies of scale, but at least kind of similar levels of auto, um, of automation and, um, and cost savings. Um, and, and, but doing it in house, right. Uh, where they have some amount of control over, um, over how their data is being handled. Um, well, for the people that don't know what OpenStack is, what, what is that? Yeah. So open, OpenStack is a, it's a suite of software. It's like a portfolio of software uh, that started as a way of building your own version of Amazon and doing it on-premise. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. since begun to evolve and, be and become its own set of services. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's actually very similar to Linux, right? It's, uh, mm -hmm. It's got dozens and dozens of companies are now contributing to the project. Red Hat is a really prominent uh, contributor to the project um, because everybody it's funny that everybody wants a cloud infrastructure like mm -hmm. this um, but uh, nobody wants a single vendor to control it mm -hmm. um, and and in fact it becomes very difficult or it doesn't make a lot of sense to have vendors competing on price and feature at that kind of level of the stack like everyone just wants that stuff out of the way so they can go worry mm -hmm. about worry about kind of higher order problems um and so it's kind of a perfect opportunity for open source and a perfect opportunity for this you know ad hoc coalition of companies again just like linux mm -hmm. yeah and and i think this also makes the need for you know i have a really cool product idea mm -hmm. um 
there should be a product that should be able to manage your virtual and cloud guests no matter whether they're like on-premise or in a community cloud or a public cloud. Somebody ought to come up with something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't know. You're right. That is a good idea. You know what we could call it? We could call it, what? Uh, we could call it cloud forms. Version 2. Mm-hmm. Version 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So but, the, so, but these problems don't apply just to companies, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, these, these concerns about uh, data and control um, aren't just for companies worried about uh, stewardship of their own data. This is also personal problems too, right? Which brings us to this Facebook news item. I just can't mm-hmm. believe the chutzpah of Facebook. <laughs> I mean, this is just like, this is amazing. Um, do you want to actually, you, you caught into our notes here. You've, you've, you've copied the, uh, the terms of the, of the, the quote unquote update on the privacy mm-hmm. policy. Um, do you want to read it? Oh yeah. So you agree to the following. Mm-hmm. You give us Facebook permission to use your name, profile picture, content, and information in connection with commercial sponsored or related content, such as a brand you like, uh, served or enhanced by us. Okay. But now, means, oh, wait, 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 okay. So ahead. stop yeah. here. Cause up until now, this is not remarkable, right? This is more or less what people have been agreeing to for, for a long time, right? The, the way it's worded, right? This is like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, this makes sense, right? Google mm-hmm. or fa- Google or Facebook for that matter. Um, they're going to use my profile picture. They're going to use my name. Um, and they want to be able to use it in content that they deliver to other people, right? Because you want to see what's on people's Facebook walls and stuff like that, right? Okay. So that mm-hmm. on its face, that looks totally normal. And then the explanation is when it goes totally off the rails. So, okay, go ahead. Good. Here we go. This means, for example, that you permit a business or any or other entity to pay us to display your name and or profile picture with your content or information without any compensation for you. If you have selected a specific audience for your content or information, we will respect your choice when we use it. Are they out of their minds? Yeah. Well, what's funny is that I remember... Uh, so I... I you know, I still have a Facebook account, but I rarely look at it. Um, but I remember when I used to look at it, I saw this was around the presidential election. And I saw that there were people that I was friends with. And I would I would see these ads like in the not even ads, but it's like in the stream, it would be like, oh, here's a promoted message from Barack Obama. And here are all the people that stand behind him. So basically, if you saw or you like Barack Obama and you follow him and, and you click like, now there are these people that, you know, I thought were apolitical or, or whatever. They are like standing, you know, behind that campaign and all that, which it was it was pretty wild. And it's like, I don't know if I would want, you know, you know, it's like whether it's deodorant or a politician or dog mm-hmm. food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that creeps me out that it's like uh, they're basically putting words in my mouth as an endorsement of their product. Yes, that's right. Um, and, and there's, there's so many problems with this policy. I don't even know where to start, but, but one aspect I was thinking about was, um, as an example, like if you liked, uh, Obama during the campaign in 2008, your opinion about him probably has changed between Mm. then and now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so can they, can they drag opinions that you previously held, you know, howling from the vault, um, and then use it, you know, and then use it to to relay an endorsement to your friends. I just, the whole thing is diabolical. Um, I, maybe that costs extra. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you want to undo any mistakes you made in your youth, um, then you can pay Facebook to, uh, to redact that information. 
yeah oh right yeah hey i like this beer um or <laughs> or, or worse right yeah yeah just so um yeah just the well first of all the idea of like uncompensated product endorsements and then doing it without your like without your express permission and mm-hmm. uh it's just but are, are you compensated you you get to use facebook for free yeah well this goes back to the discussion we had earlier right where um facebook's customer is the advertisers it's mm-hmm. not you right exactly um, yep. if you're not if you're not paying for the product the product is you mm-hmm. <laughs> um so and it, and it creates it facebook has every reason in the world to put a policy like this in place um and one of the reasons one of the reasons I left Facebook was because of exactly this kind of behavior. Like I don't actually object to them, you know, in principle having a service like this, right. Mm -hmm. If people want to make an informed decision and say that they're going to like, yeah, go ahead. Use my, use my, use my thumbs up on, you know, Colgate and use it to sell Colgate. That's if people want to do that, that's totally cool. The problem is that the frequency with which they change these policies to introduce new services and so a set of informed decisions I made about how my Facebook data was being used three months ago suddenly doesn't apply, right? Suddenly I have to go back and do this, you know, I have to think about it again. I have to worry about it again. And with every change in the privacy policy, it means more knobs and dials for me to tweak to kind mm-hmm. of maintain my uh, posture, I guess is the best way to describe it, right? Uh, to maintain yeah. my own data security policy. Um, and eventually it just overwhelmed me. I was like, I, I can't even keep track of what I'm sharing with anyone anymore. So you know, now I'm spending all the time looking at, uh, my friend's baby photos. Um, and in return I have to spend, you know, whatever, like a half hour a week, uh, thinking about my privacy setting, forget it. And so I just, so I just exited. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So what, so if let's assume you, you had an account there, would, mm-hmm. what, what would you be a sponsor of though? Well, so the, so a more interesting question is what would Facebook have me sponsor? Right. Right. So what, what would the algorithm decide that I was going to endorse? And obviously it would choose, uh, the Gunner advanced computer eyewear product. Mm, tell me about that. I, I know very little about it. It's a, it's a set of magic glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, you're apparently only allowed to wear them if you have a chiseled jaw and rugged good mm-hmm. looks. This is just like you. The, well, yes, like me. That's right. Right. Um, and it, uh, reduces eye strain, uh, when mm. you're working on a computer, apparently because they're yellow. Yes. Yeah, so I guess, uh, um, well, what, tell us tell us a little more about this. There was a billboard, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so a friend of the show, Rick Ring, um, mm-hmm. was driving through, I guess he was in L.A., and he saw there was a huge billboard for this brand of eyewear, um, and it's a gunner right there on the top, like gunner advanced computer eyewear, and the picture of this guy with the yellow glasses with the rugged good looks. Um, anyway, a little disconcerting, people with names like John or Doug, or Dave, probably, mm-hmm. you know, accustomed to seeing their name in public. I am not accustomed to seeing my name in public. Um, right. And so it's a little bit, and then, and then on a billboard, right? Like thrown yes. up there. It actually looks like an uncompensated endorsement as far as I'm concerned, because my brand is obviously much stronger than this, uh, right. than this, you know, fly by night eyewear outfit. And they, and they used your likeness in, in the image too. That's right? Well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Capitalizing on my rugged good looks. Yeah. So Rick took a picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Gunnar Advanced Computer Iowa will be hearing from my lawyers. Yep. And and are we going to put that picture in the show notes? We and, sure will. And the, the modified version of it. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. We'll be putting a we'll be putting a uh, uh, putting a putting a putting uh, Exhibit A in my lawsuit. Uh, will be going up on the website. That's right. Okay. And and 
if if they don't if they need another thing to go to uh, to the website, there's a, a video that they should see, right? <laughs> Which before the before the show, you were like you're like stop what you're doing, go watch this video. I'll wait and I watched the video and I laughed out loud through the entire thing. It is hilarious, um, and I'm surprised I missed it. This is actually what two and a half years old now, um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's this onion video. Um, about uh, Facebook being a CIA program, <laughs> and, it's, and it's oh, it's so good. Uh, won't ruin it by like recounting it, but like they make some really good digs at Twitter and and Foursquare in there too. It's it's hilarious. It's really nice. Yeah, it's like uh, life imitating art. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. The product is you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's. Uh, so how about let's let's switch over to uh, conspiracy theories. Oh, good. Yes, I can't wait. Yeah. So there is. Uh, what we we've seen some chatter. Um, people mm-hmm. saying that oh well NSA has uh, compromised. They've weakened SSL, TLS, maybe SE Linux. Um, yeah, that's right. This comes out of a. This is just actually yesterday uh, when we're recording. Um, so this is uh, on the fifth. Uh, Glenn Greenwald over at the Guardian released uh, the next round of, or the latest round of uh, Snowden disclosures, um, which detailed how the NSA had been uh, com- systematic over the last ten years has been systematically compromising uh, encryption algorithms, uh, collecting people's secret keys uh, for the purposes of, of surveillance. Right, um, mm. and so what the the documents described the activity, but they didn't exactly describe what they had compromised um mm-hmm. and so now speculation runs wild mm-hmm. yeah so this is like tom clancy yeah that's right well so folks, so, folks so dave actually and, so yeah. for, so some of the folks listening to the show probably don't it's it's a difficult thing to explain to a lay person so dave do you want to get do you want to try and give a uh kind of how would you explain this to lauren uh like why this was uh why this would be a big deal well i think that the way the way it was phrased is that, that oh well now there's all these in, these applications that have been compromised and well d- and even in the Guardian article they didn't call out SE Linux did they Mm-mm. no I don't think yeah. they did no the 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 conspiracy there there were some conspiracy theories surrounding that though there were things in the news about proprietary companies that you know their appliances or their software had backdoors put in them. Um, and then there were also accusations as well for uh, some of the things with just, I guess, some of the standards bodies, right, as far as, like, how SSL works or TLS works. Yeah, that's right. So the idea is that the NSA has not uh, – it's actually not even that they had been, like, mucking with people's software, uh, but that they had been kind of engineering the weaknesses, standards, the weak, weaknesses through the standards process um, yeah. so that they could later exploit them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, which is, which would be very alarming, um, because it would mean that, you know, technologies that we'd relied upon to be secure in the past, like TLS or the AES encryption standard, all that stuff would be now up for grabs. Like now we can't trust it anymore. Um, and so it, what's interesting is that the, the NSA is actually on both sides of this issue because, you know, the NSA's mission is on one hand to, um, yes, you know, exploit uh, signals intelligence and, and perform surveillance and spy on people. And then on the other hand, the NSA, the NSA is also responsible for protecting the U.S. Uh, industrial base, 
right? Um, they're, they're supposed to be helping protect us from exactly attacks like this, right? Uh, from their counterparts in other countries. Um, and so it's not unusual at all for the NSA to be involved in like the development of national encryption standards. Um, but at the same time, so, so literally as we're discussing this topic, our Skype connection just broke. Yes. Yeah. How do, and, and how do I know that this is you? well first of all nobody can imitate that laugh conspiracy theories right so now because of all of the uncertainty and the secrecy around these programs now nobody knows what they can trust and what they can't trust right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and this is uh, you know i read this news and i'll be candid with you dave um uh, because it's just you and i now Mm -hmm. right Um, (laughs) it, it is ironic that we talked about the nsa over skype (laughs) <laughs> and then right. the call was terminated. Skype <laughs> crashed on my end. Um, but so the, but just between you and me, I read this news and I was immediately thankful that uh, we work for an open source software company where this problem isn't, it's not like the problem doesn't exist, but the fact that we all of our work is out in the open makes it a right. lot harder to conceal uh, backdoors like this, right? Right. We, we are no less secure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so, so tell me, do you have any thoughts about SE Linux? Cause I, I've seen some, some of the, some of the chatter pop up already that, you know, well, now we, now we can't trust SE Linux cause the NSA developed it. And this is like, these are objections that are literally like 10 years old, right? Um, right. when SE Linux first came out, we heard these same objections. So how was the, how has the story changed? Well, um, it's interesting to see the, oh, the, this is surfacing again. And, and it's like, people are like, I'll show you, I'm not going to run SE Linux. And <laughs> so right That's now, right. Dan, Dan Walsh is listening to this and he's shaking his head. But, <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I think that that's, that, that's kind of silly. And then the other side of it is, you know, it's like, it's been out there for 10 years and, mm-hmm. you know, for people to look at, pick apart, patch repatch and and it, and and we've talked about this in previous episodes is it if i was uh somebody from an intelligence agency and i wanted to slip malicious code into something i probably wouldn't use my work address i would use a pseudonym or i don't know what yeah mm-hmm. um well and also the the and, or, you know i think the objection was actually stronger 10 years ago because in the last 10 years the SE Linux code has gone through a whole bunch of changes, right? And mm-hmm. it's had dozens of, of developers working on it from many different organizations. Um, and countries. And countries. Um, and, and there's two sides of it too, right? There's the software that implements SE Linux, and then there's the policy that you put in place. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the policy that, that we ship, um, uh, it bears almost no resemblance at all to the reference policy that the NSA published 10 years ago. Exactly, um, and in fact, the the reference, the current targeted policy, which we, which is the one that we ship, um, that targeted policy uh, is actually, I don't think it's ever actually been hosted by the NSA, or if it it has, it definitely hasn't for years, because uh, it was the folks at Traces were were holding it for a while. I think we're you know mm-hmm. we're great contributors to it, so you know it, the code is not a snapshot in time. Like over time, it evolves, and after ten years of churn. Um, eventually, you know, even if they had put a backdoor in, um, I think it's exceedingly unlikely. It's not, it's not impossible. You never can say it's impossible, but, um, I think it's really unlikely that a vulnerability would be able to stick around for that long. Well, yeah. And if anybody doesn't believe us that the code hasn't changed, they should try SE Linux and RHEL 3. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it wasn't really usable. Um. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and uh, another thing they could do is, uh, you know, they should just go file a Freedom Information Act request and, and get the SCN Linux code themselves. Yeah, and they, can, they could look over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's 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 change mm-hmm. things. You know, like when I look at this, I you know I'm like, well, okay, so all these, uh, so you you have the NSA, you have all these American companies that may have been compelled and all that, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's Google. What's a big deal as as an American? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw I, I wanted to turn the tables a little bit, and I saw that there were some companies. Um, uh, so like Tencent. So mm-hmm. so you everybody knows what Dropbox is, right? You know, it's like you can cloud-based storage, you can back your stuff up. Um, you, mm-hmm. know, you have SkyDrive, you have Box.net. Mm-hmm. Fine American companies, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where you can uh, safely store your data um, securely using mm-hmm. uh, military-grade encryption written by Navy SEALs, right? <laughs> and so there's, there's a company called Tencent, and they're giving away 10 terabytes of free cloud storage. Wow, yeah. It's like you do you want to sign up and get an account? That uh, sounds that's, like that sounds, an awesome yeah. deal. Yeah, that sounds really compelling. Yeah, ten terabytes yeah. is a lot. And even let's say you don't need ten terabytes. Um, let's say you only want one terabyte of free storage that mm-hmm. you could store all all your content in on the cloud. Mm-hmm. That you got you got Baidu. You have uh, Kihu. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kihu three hundred and sixty. Let me let me clarify. Mm-hmm. One terabyte of free storage if you go there to sign up. Um, but the interesting thing is all three of those companies are Chinese. Creepy. Why is that creepy? Totally creepy, right? Because it's, uh, it's China. I, don't, I, don't, uh, I would never willingly put my data in China. I mean, that's a, they're a well-known surveillance state, right? That I, would, I would be putting my data at risk. Okay. Oh, I see what you did there. I yes. just got that. What, I just got, what did I do? I, did I, I just, well, I just got. A, I just had a cold pang of irony hit me. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. I, you know, and we've talked about this before, Dave. The the there, so let's let's talk about the. There's I see. There's two sides of this problem, right? One is the like the narrow technical privacy security issue, right? Mm-hmm. Which actually has a solution. Um, there's stuff like own cloud, right? Which we've talked about on the show before. Um, yep. There are, I mean, there are many ways uh, in which you can actually uh, maintain your own data without having to trust a third party with it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this this other issue, um, which goes back to this con- all these conspiracy theories that are popping up, and you know, conspiracy theories only pop up in the absence of credible information, right? Um, and so Bruce Schneier actually wrote a great piece about this just today um, mm-hmm. on the on the sixth. Um, about these conspiracy theories that are popping up. And I think he rightfully identifies the conspiracies as being maybe even more damaging than, than the actual acts themselves, right? Um, the, the idea that now suddenly anything that not just the NSA touches, but anything the U.S. government touches, not just the U.S. government, but any U.S. company touches, is now somehow dirty or tainted. Um, yes. that's, the, that's when things start going toxic, Right. Yeah. Um, including and, the open source community. Including the open source community, right? Like, so now, Dave, you and you and I, like, uh, you know, to say it's a worst case scenario, you and I are going to have to spend the next year, um, you know, re-educating people about uh, about why SELNX can be trusted and convincing them to not turn it off, um, mm-hmm. and because it because I genuinely believe that it actually is more secure than enabled than disabled. 
Um, <laughs> and having to re-argue those points is, I mean, that, and that's just for us, right? Um, and we're an open source company. So like I was saying earlier, I think we get it, we get it a little bit easy. I can't imagine trying to be a U.S. public cloud provider right now or Microsoft or IBM or, have to, or Oracle and I have to defend myself a, a, as a proprietary company where now I somehow have to prove to my customers that I haven't been compromised or that there's not like NSA backdoors uh, in my software. Um, right. That's, that's no fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, so it reminded me of this thing, Malcolm Gladwell, um, who I loathe, um, in, in, really? Oh yeah. I, oh man. I don't like that guy. Really? Um, wow. yeah, there's a, there's a great, I'll include in the show notes. There's this great takedown of, uh, of, of Malcolm Gladwell from, uh, from a few months ago. Uh, but anyway, but we can talk about that on a, on a different show, but, um, this quote from him, I, I really liked. He said, um, secrets belong to an, a small assortment of individuals and inevitably become hostage to private agendas. Hmm. which is a shorter version of what Bruce Schneier was saying, right? The, the damage that's being done here is the secrecy um, and the fact that the NSA was lying under oath mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, because that's what breaks trust. And when you don't have trust and you don't have credible information, suddenly you have conspiracy theories and paranoia and all the rest of it. Um, anyway, it's, that part is, is what I'm just for myself. Like that's what I'm keeping a close eye on um, is how can, how would a U.S. software company, a U.S. cloud company, the U.S. government, the NSA, how would you rebuild trust after an event like this? Right, right. And it's and the funny thing is that you, you have somebody like China who, you know, they, they do surveillance and they're transparent about it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know exactly what you're getting into when you put data up in, uh, up in Tencent, right? Right. Um, and, so the, and, and so you'll probably put... Mm-hmm. The, 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 um, you don't want to put the wrong data there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so but the, this idea that, and, and the problem that what the kind of what all this points to is that the problem is actually structural, right? Um, it's not a series of bad decisions made by evil men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you get a bunch of people together and give them all a secret, they will collect around that secret. Um, and they will, and they will begin to defend that secret because it becomes part of like the group identity. Right. Yes. Um, and that makes people uh, paranoid. Um, it gives them like a siege mentality, um, and compels them to do stuff like, uh, you know, you look at like, I don't want to draw these parallels unnecessarily, but you look at like Nixon, right. Um, you look at like Bill Clinton, you look at these presidents who were in these terrible situations and found themselves, um, you know, lying under oath or lying to prosecutors and, or, you know, uh, otherwise try to like obscure the, obscure the truth. Um, and I don't know, I, for me, it feels like they do it not because they're necessarily bad people, but because they have the sense of like, well, I'm doing the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who said it, but you know, every, every villain is the hero of his own story. Mm. Yes. Um, and when you have a small group of people or a select group of people, uh, who are, um, who are responsible for maintaining a secret. Um, it gives them, uh, it gives them an, it opens the aperture for them to, uh, be villains while thinking that they are being heroes. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It gives them, um, uh, motivation and, uh, and, and it probably allows them to, um, bend the rules or justify things. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. 
So you would think that this points in the direction of me being a supporter of WikiLeaks, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, get rid of secrets. Like that's the, that's the problem. Um, but actually that, that actually comes with its own set of issues. Um, and rather than recount them all here, um, I'm just going to point people to this really fantastic op-ed from uh, Praveen Swamy in the Telegraph uh, from back in 2010, um, where he talks about this notion of uh, truth, uh, revealing truth as some kind of um, magic pixie dust that will resolve, uh, that will resolve like real entrenched problems um, and how, increased transparency isn't necessarily always the answer. Um, anyway, mm -hmm. totally fascinating take on the, on the question of WikiLeaks. Um, so, uh, go check mm -hmm. that out at a uh, dgshow.org. Interesting. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, we're going to try and resurrect Haven Co. Right. Right. Yeah. We need to do that. We'll get on cloud running up there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Uh, so we'll but we some... need to do a website. Who, who would you call to do their website? So funny you should ask, Dave. Uh, so we did the show uh, last week. We talked about uh, Sealand, right? This uh, principality mm -hmm. on a like a abandoned oil platform, oil drilling platform off of the uh, coast of England. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, this company, Haven Co., um, mm -hmm. who had set up a data center out there, uh, which would be presumably outside the control of any jurisdiction. Um, mm -hmm. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, anyway, we talked about that on the last episode and, uh, we talked about that on the last episode and my buddy Evan hit me up and said, I had heard of those guys and I couldn't remember why. And I realized I had done their first website. Um, <laughs> and so it was just hilarious. Uh, so we got links to, uh, the, uh, original Haven Co and Sealand Gov websites, uh, developed by a friend of the show, Evan Rose. Wow. So he did both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Was he, I guess he wasn't paid in like Bitcoin. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He was, he got all the, he got all the free, uh, they made uh, him a knight. Uh, yeah. Th that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they gave him a knight. Uh, they made him a knight and, uh, he got all of the unregulated data storage he wanted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. CIO of the realm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. Are you exhausted talking about the security and, uh, privacy stuff? Yeah. Let's, let's switch to fashion. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's fashion and gadgets. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do a gadget podcast. Um, yeah. I can't explain to you, Dave, how little I want a smartwatch. Yes. Yes. So if this podcast was done maybe 150 years ago, mm -hmm. you, I'm, I'm drawing this parallel between smartphones and smartwatches mm -hmm. and pocket watches and wristwatches. So if we did this podcast like 150 years ago, do you think we would be having that holding with our with our pocket watches and, and we'd be like, no way in, in heck I'm going to wear a wristwatch. This is a pocket watch. I'm going to pull it out of my pocket. And, and right. that's that's the, the way gentlemen tell time. Right, right. Oh, you're, so you're saying it's a um, – this is this is simply a technology that is ahead of its time and maybe just culturally we need to adapt to the idea of, of uh, putting a smart device on our wrist. Yeah, maybe – uh, maybe I don't want to live in that world. Cause here's the thing. That smartwatch is like 1.3 inches diagonal. Mm -hmm. And I got mm -hmm. little girl wrists. I got little, mm -hmm. little baby wrists and that thing is going to look ridiculous. Yeah. So, so did you have when, uh, did you have the Casio calculator watch when oh, you were growing up? Of course up? I did. Of course I did. And I had really? tubes and I had tube socks pulled all the way up to my knees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I totally had a, and I had a calculator watch. It was so cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I never fell into that trap. <laughs> you're 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 a lucky guy. You're a lucky yeah. guy. Yeah. 
so in, and so I'm I'm sort of the same way that it's like uh, so if I, I would say I guess some, if we were to give career advice to the uh, um, the cloud sales guy that is uh, shopping his resume around looking for a, a new technology to to move into for sales mm-hmm. probably. We're not we're not uh, optimistic on uh, smartwatch sales. No, no, and especially not in this current incarnation. I mean, do you see? Like, it's ridiculous. Like the Samsung, yeah. the Samsung smartwatch is. So if it was just a smartwatch, I would be like, oh, that's actually like very clever that they can pack all that technology into one tiny little thing. But the thing mm-hmm. is, it's actually tethered to a tablet. Like, it doesn't work without having a tablet nearby. Right. Um, which is just and, bonkers. Well, and I can also imagine too, like you know you. You already have like the annoying guy, like with the cell phone. Oh yeah. Now you're gonna have, and so at least with the cell phone, there is the possibility that they could go off a speakerphone and just put the the phone up to their their head, and and only their voice is the annoying part. Yeah. But now if you do like the smartwatch thing, if it's like a speaker phone sort of thing on somebody's wrist, somebody has to talk really. Yeah, they'll have to shout into their wrist, mm-hmm. and then it's like on a speakerphone. Or or they or they have a Bluetooth device, right? So now they're packing the tablet and the smartwatch and a Bluetooth device, and now no girl will talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I don't see this going anywhere. I don't see this going. Yeah, anywhere. yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan. Um, but the, the Onion ought to do uh, a thing on that. They did. It's hilarious. It's it, <laughs> another like it's a second Onion link for this episode. Um, they did their Men on the Street interviews of reactions to the smartwatch, and we shouldn't ruin it by like recounting it, but we should definitely we're putting a link to it in the show notes because it is yeah, it, cool. it's worth it. It's worth it. Totally worth it. Um, speaking of girls not talking to us uh, and, and watch calculators and watch calculators, you would, you, have to, <laughs> you you have to, you have some calculus news. Yeah, yeah. So there's um, this is really slick. So this is. Um, I saw this on Slashdot, and I, I tweeted it, actually. And um, so Ohio State is doing a calculus MOOC, um, and, and they're calling it Muculus. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a prescription uh, something or other, something for congestion. But Sorry, pregnant women should not handle Muculus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, expectorant or something. But <laughs> um, but the, the cool thing about this is that everything is out on GitHub. So the, the textbook is... Everything is open source. Textbook, the courseware, the ability to take quizzes—it's all out on. It's all open source and on, on GitHub. So I, I went and tweeted that. Oh, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm I'm really as a daughter, uh, as as somebody who has a daughter that's going uh, to college soon and thinking about the cost of education and the increasing costs and the return on investment. I'm really worried about a you know uh, an education bubble coming, and um, anything that can be done to lower the cost of education and, and making that, that return on investment better. I'm, I'm a big fan of. So I, I tweeted that and, um, it actually, the, one of the main guys from Ohio state tweeted me back saying that, well, Hey, not, it's not just about, um, the, it's not just about lowering the cost of education, but actually making it better. So, um, Jim Fowler, he, he tweeted back a, um, uh, a YouTube link of this like five minute video of him doing a presentation on this. And this is where it really got fascinating um, where not only is everything out there and open source, but they are collecting all kinds of data whenever people take the quizzes to see if people are learning because his, like as a calculus teacher, he would go from semester to semester. He could either teach, teach the same thing over and over again without any changes 
or he could make changes, but if he made changes, he wasn't sure why he was making them or if they would be good or bad or how it would work. Mm-hmm. And by collecting all this data and doing all this analysis, he's, he's using that to make the classes better. Um, oh. in, in terms of how the teaching is done, so, so like a, he like he could do like A/B testing on a mm-hmm. on a particular. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So they're actually using math to teach math, and I think that. Speaking of conspiracies, I think this whole thing is a trap. Tell me more. So they're trying to get you to take this calculus class, and you're going to get hooked, and they want you to and, and but to understand it, to understand the data, you need to take a statistics class, and that's how they get you. Oh, that's really tricky. And then before you know it, you have marketable skills. Yep. Oh, it's diabolical. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. It, uh, we'll put a link to the YouTube video in there. And it, it's it's well worth watching what he's doing. And and the other part that, you know, you, uh, uh, you know, it's just seeing uh, Jim Fowler give this presentation. He's like, I'm like, wow, this this guy is like. The, the, is an awesome presenter and teacher. I, I would love to, you know, uh, take a class from him. He's just so animated and everything. And, and but I, I still love my um, uh, calculus teacher from college, where you know he he, he would talk about, well, well, this guy didn't know his asymptote from a hole in the graph, and you know, it's all, <laughs> all all kind of jokes like that. What is so. it with STEM teachers and the puns? They love them. Yeah, they love them. Yeah. yeah. So check oh. the video out. Highly, highly recommended. It. It's good stuff, and it's from it's from Ohio. It's more Ohio news. Nice. We're more than just boxing. <laughs> um, so you're. So we mentioned this earlier. We got a, we got a full slate of uh, events coming up, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm uh, presenting with uh, David A. Wheeler and Josh Davis uh, on Tuesday. So I'm excited about that. And you got your Data Palooza. That's right, and we should mention actually. Yeah. Uh, Dave Wheeler will be especially interesting to to hear um, uh, on this on this podcast or on this uh, this webinar because uh, Dave Wheeler uh, is actually one of the leading thinkers on um, open source and uh, trusting software. Um, yes, he's kind of you know we know him as uh, kind of the godfather of open source policies in government, mm-hmm. but he is but his actual like line of expertise is writing secure software. Like he wrote the O'Reilly book on writing secure software. Um, yeah, and so he's a PhD. Or that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He's actually he's accredited to do this for a living. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I'm. You can, I'm, you can I'm hear him forward. talk on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right. I'll be at the, the uh, North Carolina uh, Data Palooza. Um, these guys are intimidatingly professional. By the way, uh, they put out a press release announcing that I was going to keynote on this thing, which like never happens to me. Wow. Um, yeah, it's actually like it's on the. Like business or business wire, like it showed up. I was like, wow. oh, oh, wow, okay. I guess these guys nice. are serious. I gotta up my game. I was just gonna, yeah. I was just gonna show up and eat donuts, but I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll work on a speech for him. Nice. Um, and then, uh, when are you getting? You're, you're the FCN of the month, right? Yep. Um, so Mr. When, September. Mr. September. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. A. When is the calendar coming out? Uh, yeah, and, I, and... I have to bring my own bear rug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, I need to unthink that thought. Um, yep. And yep. Uh, but but okay. But they're doing a lunch. Uh, I guess in yep. your honor, September sixteenth. Yeah, the, everybody's going to lose their appetite. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. And then you're doing another GovLoop event as well, right? On the yep. So 17th. that's yeah. So that's in person the mm-hmm. next day. You know, on the seventeenth. Yeah. Cool. And then you got your cloud mobility workshop at an unknown time. Yeah, at some point 
in they won't tell you or they what won't they, they literally won't tell me I, I do not know when i'm talking but it's gonna I, the event is from october 1st to october 3rd and at some point they're gonna tell me when to show up so um, Op- operational security operation that's right that's right well it's at the jpl so of course yeah we need yeah. to be super secret about that stuff um and then you're going to be at the semantic government symposium on the second yep cool yeah um, and uh it looks like i'm going to be at the there's a gartner it expo which is like their big symposium uh, yep. or their big uh, technology event uh, in the US. Um, I'm going to be speaking at that in October as well. Um, Steve Ballmer is keynoting? I think that's right. I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, it's if you go to the website, you'll see that there are uh, they call them mastermind keynote speakers. Hmm. That's a title I want. Mastermind. Yeah. Ooh, maybe the, I got to okay, new business cards, mastermind. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then you and I were both speaking at the uh, government symposium. Yep. Yep. Cool. So let's uh, talk about Klingons. Oh, yeah, why not? Let's talk about some Klingons. Yeah. So the Illinois government website, uh, it has, in, in an effort to reach out to multiple cultures and people that speak different languages, um, it's the, the Illinois gov- uh, government website is now uh, translated into uh, Klingon. But no, if I'm, if I'm a, an Illinois citizen, I am outraged at the idea that the Illinois IT department, which is... I'm sure they have 250 other better things to do than translate the website into Klingon, right? Well, I think it's all about diversity in the workforce and, and <laughs> diversity of the Illinois citizens, right? <laughs> you got to be respectful of other cultures. and That's right. Even cultures that want to kill you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so... Um, yeah, and that was my first thought is when I saw that. It's like, what, uh, you know, and, and and I'm sure that the people that whenever this thing came out, their their public relations people were all in front of this. And they said that, no, 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 we did we spent zero money on doing the translations. It was actually a feature in the Microsoft uh, translation software. There's a, a Microsoft translation service, and one of the translations is uh, Klingon, and they just happened to leave that in there for um, just to just to keep things uh, light. Oh, see, that's really cool, and I, and I actually like it for that reason. Like the idea that they're willing to have fun with, uh, with a government property. Um, mm-hmm. You know, government websites are, you know, if they're famous for two things, right? Number one being like unnavigable and like aesthetic war crimes. Um, yes. But they're but they're also famous for being absolutely no fun at all. Um, yeah, but it's not without problems though. Um, mm-hmm. So things like uh, appeal. Mm-hmm. And unemployment, they they have there are no translations that cling on for that because the so Klingon you, Klingon culture has full employment. I guess, or they kill the people that are. I don't know. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, that's why there's no appeal because there are no appeals in Klingon. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It, it's a sign of weakness. And, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they probably have no translation for Fluffy Bunny either. Yep. Yep. But I I don't think they have Vulcan on there. So. Mm. But and the other thing I noticed, and, and I'd love feedback on this, is that at least on my Roku with Netflix, is Star Trek Three is back, but I do not. I only see the English subtitles on there. I don't see Klingon and Vulcan, and, and Laura and I are pretty disappointed. Oh, so I don't know if I, I, I need to log a, a support ticket with them. Yeah, absolutely, because that's unconscionable. Mm-hmm. That's a, if for no other reason than diversity, as you say. Right. Right. And what you know? What about the people in Illinois? <laughs> That's right. What are they going to do? Yeah. Where's their parade? Um, <laughs> that's terrible. I, 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 have, I, have a, I, have, I also have a Netflix recommendation, by the way, unrelated yeah. to technology. But um, if you have not seen 
the masterpiece, uh, There Will Be Blood, uh, that mm-hmm. is now streaming on Netflix. Um, mm. Daniel D. Lewis is amazing. The story is uh, extraordinary, um, and it is uh, it is a wonderful film. Uh, oh, that's can... the oil one. That's correct. The Wildcat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's right. That's right. Yeah, he had a, a pretty awesome mustache in that. He movie. had a tremendous mustache in that. Like on a scale of one to Dan Walsh's mustache, it was like up there. It was up there. It was Dan Walsh minus one, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, hey, Dave. Oh, why don't you tell me about a partner you like? Yeah, so and we've talked about them in the past, and uh, they also were um, innovator of the war, uh, innovator of the year award winner, and mm-hmm. and we interviewed um, uh, Nirmal from uh, this organization, it's Booz Allen Hamilton, mm-hmm. and the reason why I bring it up is that we uh, have a success story um, uh, that is officially out and published uh, for those guys, and, and there's also a YouTube video that we'll put out there. So. It's, I'm really proud of them for the work that they've done. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, the The story is is that they've you know th- that they did this work for the army, um, and the the problem that the army had is that they they do budgeting uh, every year and as directed by Congress and and historically the requirements would grow every year and but they weren't sure how big the systems needed to be, and so the, and the provisioning was done by hand and it was very labor intensive and time intensive. Um, so one of the things that yeah, they got uh, Booz Allen Hamilton involved, um, and and they worked with uh, um, with with Red Hat, and um, and we all worked together, and 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 wound up the solution that Booz Allen Hamilton came up with is that they they moved from 120 uh, end of life Spark servers um, off of Solaris um, because it, you know so the the vendor was making a move because the hardware is end of life, and they moved it all over to from 120. Uh, Solaris servers down to 15 x86 uh, rev hypervisors, so it's running Red Hat Enterprise virtualization. And the cool thing there is that, yeah, okay, we've done Unix to Linux before, uh, we've done uh, P to V before, and that's that's really really cool, right? But what they did um, is, from an efficiency standpoint, is it went even further. Um, they they have used uh, JBoss BRMS, the Business Rule uh, Management System, to automatically scale up. The rel guests on rev. So instead of um, uh, the, the manual labor-intensive process of provisioning systems, locking them down, getting them into production, which took them weeks to do, they were able to do that in a matter of minutes, and it wound up saving them like five point one million dollars um, th- from the time they put the the the, the system into production uh, until two thousand fifteen. So that's great. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what I really love is this: is using the rules system to decide how they're going to provision resources. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Obviously, when you have like virtualized systems, a lot of the mana virtualized management systems have you can put rules in place for like this time of day, scale this down. This time of day, scale this thing up. If this thing gets overloaded, move the work to another server. You know, you can do mm-hmm. that kind of work. But simple, ha- simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. relatively simple stuff. That, but having a business rules, ma- uh, uh, the business rule management system in place, which is a, you can solve a lot more problems, right? And you can pull in a lot more input from different. Uh, from different systems to make your decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also makes it, presu- I presume it actually makes it easier for this system to interact with other systems. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you need to know kind of what's going on on this kind of connected system or that connected system, all of those connected systems can actually talk to the rules management system and the rules management system can use that as input to make more informed decisions about how to provision, uh, to provision stuff on, on this system. Um, mm-hmm. Really cool. Really clever. 
I love it. Yeah. Nice. So, so do we have a, they have a video explaining all this? Yep. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah, one of the guys, that, uh, one of the other guys that we like is Manjeet Singh. And he, he actually called Red Hat out as a partner. Um, which again is, that's, I think, one of the big differences of, of why we like them so much. Cause, uh, you know, we work together with them as instead of them treating us like a vendor that just, you know, we throw products over the wall and they run with it. Um, I, I remember the time you and I were sitting in the room with Nirmal and, uh, Manjeet and, uh, our, uh, Brian Stevens, our CTO, and they're they're presenting on the business rule system, and uh, you know uh, Brian really appreciated um, seeing how all the all the different products uh, played together. is It was just really cool. Oh, that's great. That's oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, these guys. I mean, we talk about these guys so much because they are doing such good work. Yeah, really fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What are oh, so I'm I'm getting worried. Oh yeah, why is that? So I. I'm, I'm, I fear that, um, you know, Leo, when something happens and then people just start imitating what yeah. happens. Yeah. They see know, some, like, they, yeah. They see somebody they admire and they, they start behaving like that person. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. stuff like the cinnamon challenge, right. Or, mm-hmm. or twerking. Right. Um, <laughs> and you know, and, and so now what you're starting to notice that people are starting to, to like crack their heads. Yeah. And, and they're, they're like imitating me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So last week you, uh, you hit your head, um, mm-hmm. at the, uh, fed scoop event and yeah, uh, in front of everybody in front of, in front of God and everybody, um, word got out and now everybody wants to do it and everybody wants to do it. Uh, Steve Ballmer, mm-hmm. right. Wants to do it. Apparently, uh, he had some kind of a head trauma, um, <laughs> before, the- <laughs> before he leaves Microsoft. He leaves Microsoft. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what did he do? I, well, you know, he hit his head, and I'm, I'm not sure anybody could uh, could tell the difference. Um, it, yeah, it was it happened uh, it happened around the Nokia announcement that they made, mm-hmm. which we hadn't talked about at all, by the way. Maybe we put yeah. a pin in that, and come back to it. So later. they so they they basically have all the all the people the their their game development team like the Snake, all the people that wrote Snake. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Oh God, I love Snake. Man, I played a lot of Snake. I it f- justifies I the acquisition. Is the- what, what, that's right. That's that's a valuable IP right there. It's, mm-hmm. That's the next uh, Farmville. Yep. Um, but then uh, then this other crazy thing happened. Uh, yet another head trauma. Um, mm-hmm. uh, apparently, a guy who listens to the podcast. Uh, I say apparently because uh, that's the only other explanation I can have. Is uh, it was actually uh, flying home uh, just hours ago. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy um, uh, had some kind of a medical condition and uh, collapsed in the in the aisleway of the plane I was on. And uh, was out cold and knocked his head on the way down and uh, had to, um, these two paramedics kind of leapt out of their chairs and went to attend to him. Um, we talked about this uh, before the record, before we hit record, but um, uh, it is totally fascinating to see what happens on an airplane when there is a medical emergency. Mm. Um, I didn't know that they kept like that, uh, like they, they gave, they put the guy on an IV um, mm-hmm. they had, uh, from what I could tell, uh, the airplane can turn into a flying ambulance if it needs to. Um, yeah. they had all kinds of like equipment and gear and these paramedics just kind of opened up the kit and went straight to work. Uh, it was really amazing to watch while um, it was in flight or, or yeah. once they, yeah, no, while, while so it was there were paramedics flight. on, on plane. Yeah. They just happened to be flying home, um, wow. or, or, or on the plane. And so, uh, they went to work, um, on this guy, uh, got him stabilized, um, what I, I did learn that, uh, of course everyone was, you know, like, Oh, are we going to land early? You know, are they going to divert us somewhere else? But the, these paramedics did a great job. Uh, they stabilized him. Um, 
Uh, although I did learn that uh, if there is a medical emergency on a plane, they can mm-hmm. give you uh, uh, an expedited route to your destination. Yeah. So we actually landed half an hour early. Now you say great. this, now now more people are going to be hitting their head <laughs> to get home early. And Excuse me, uh, what, excuse me, flight attendant, I have a tummy ache. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to crack their head open and, and yeah. 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 Um, so, but, but I will say that uh, the, the teenagers are going to start doing it. <laughs> um, I will say it's, it's super scary when it, you know, when it's first happening. Um, mm-hmm. uh, thank goodness that the, the paramedics were there. I think, you know, the, the plane was well equipped. Um, so they were able to stabilize him and, uh, he, you know, he actually, he was arguing with, uh, with the ambulance guy, the paramedics on the ground uh, that he wanted to like walk off the plane. Like he didn't feel like he was, you know, he needed any more attention. Um, uh, but you know, they wheeled him off in the wheelchair and the rest of it. Uh, but it was, uh, it was really cool to see, first of all, the number of people who jumped in to help. Um, mm-hmm. it was really cool to see, uh, these paramedics, uh, just nobody asked him, you know, they didn't say like, is there a doctor? Like just these guys just descended on him and went mm-hmm. to work. Um, yeah. and it was neat to see, uh, kind of all of the planning that goes into, uh, that goes into an event like that. Like the, you know, things, all the things that have to get coordinated, right. The airport has to know what to do and have people, you know, ready to do it. Um, the airplane, you know, the air traffic control system, it was just really neat to see how much planning went into something like that. It was cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So what, uh, what else were you doing on the plane? I was, I, w- I was playing with the new economist app, which is awesome. Um, I may be the last person to realize this, but so I, Dave, you know, I'm a big fan of the economist. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, people will occasionally ask me, um, what they should uh, do to stay informed on world mm-hmm. events. And I say, read the first few pages of the economist. Um, even if you throw out the rest of the magazine, their summary of world news is peerless. It's almost um, as good as a David Gunner show. Nearly, very nearly as good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I downloaded their app and I was playing with their app and, uh, I realized that the app is not just well executed in the sense that it actually feels like an economist magazine. Like it's got the same fonts and the layout. It's very familiar. Um, but there's a little set of headphones in the upper right hand corner. And if you hit that, uh, you can listen to the articles, uh, in your earballs. Um, they mm-hmm. will actually read you the articles and not in any kind of like crappy automatic, you know, text to speech, text to speech thing. Like Stephen Hawking. Exactly. Hawking. Yeah, I know it, it's, it's, they actually have like, you know, real live voice actors, uh, mm-hmm. reading you each article. So when you get the economist app, you're also getting basically the economist as a podcast, um, which is fantastic. Um, because I, I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to set aside, uh, mm-hmm. enough time to actually like read through the magazine. Right. Um, the only times that I really am able to read the magazine is the, uh, 20 minutes after the door closes and then 20 minutes before landing. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, uh, but being able to do it as a podcast, uh, now I can listen to it right alongside, uh, the Dave and Gunner show. So it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, everybody should go out and get the economist app. Um, I wish there was a promo code I could do to, uh, to make some money off of this endorsement, but, um, but there you have it. Yeah. We need a promo code and a link or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And speaking of uh, people descending on people that need help, um, mm. yeah, there there are a couple. Uh, we were sort of clueless about what a ball peen hammer did. That's and, right. And people came to our aid immediately, right? That's right. Because we're the because Dave, you and I are the kind of people who have uh, watch calculators. Um, we mm-hmm. did not know really what a ball peen hammer looked like, or we knew what it looked like. We didn't know what it did. 
Um, right. And so our uh, our blue collar friends, uh, Trey Oates and uh, Adam Clater, came to our rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, although gave us different but not conflicting answers as to what a ball peen hammer did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, tell, tell me. So, so Trey grew up on a farm in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, and he and he said that the uh, the ball peen hammer is uh, because it's got a, a round nose um, that it's uh, good for um, kind of more finesse work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so his dad uses it, uh, to round the end of a copper tube and a flaring tool, um, mm-hmm. uh, because of the, because of the rounded nose, um, his, uh, his mom will use a ball peen hammer to put snaps onto shirts, mm-hmm. um, which makes total sense. But then Adam had a totally different answer, mm-hmm. right? Um, More of a metallurgical one, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Cause Adam is apparently some kind of alchemist, witch. um, mm-hmm. he was saying that, uh, the peening which is ball peen hammer, right? Okay. So of course, like we should take that apart. So peening, um, mm-hmm. makes metals harder or stronger. Mm-hmm. And so this hammer, this hammer is, is meant to actually, you're meant to bang on a piece of metal and make it harder or stronger by peening it with this mm-hmm. ball peen hammer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it sounds I, plausible. It's totally plausible. Um, so we should get the, the ball peen hammer industry to sponsor the show. Oh, that's good. Yeah, well, because think of how many the, hammers we just sold right now. That's right. Well, and, and, and no exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and think about think about um, think about the kind of reach that the the ball peen, uh, the ball peen folks. I mean, they're just leaving money on the table, right? Yeah. We could have a little. We're touching a demographic that, the, <laughs> that's right. that people are like, man, I need a ball peen hammer. That's right. That's right. So if the ball peen ball peen folks, if you're listening, there is a serious audience of people who grew up without ball peen hammers. They all have tube socks up to their knees and they're wearing watch calculators and yep. they need to hear they, they have the no ball. snaps on their shirts, no snaps on their shirts. Um, all their copper tubes are not rounded. Um, right. and they all, and they're playing with soft metal all day. Um, they need your help and we can help you get to them. Yeah. We can, we can reach that market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Dave, I guess the last item here is the, uh, so you had, a, you had a, a teachable moment. With the, yes. with the lug? Yes. Yeah. So this is uh, some parenting tips for, uh, um, if you're, uh, you know, with your child who's in a lug. Um, so <laughs> this is a kind of thing that, uh, you know, we were hurting. So with the Akron lug, we were like, oh my gosh, um, first Tuesday or the first Thursday of the month, which is our formal meeting, um, is coming up and, and we need a presenter. It's like, oh man, it's like, we, we forgot all about that. Um, and, uh, you know, cause we're all enjoying the, you know, Lauren's, uh, talk in August. And, um, and so the, the Akron lug guys reached out to me and saying, Oh, well, you know, is there, do you know somebody we can get to talk? And, um, and we think that one of the, one of the ladies that came to, uh, to see Lauren's talk, she brought her uh, Google glass with her and, and, um, and, uh, offered to give a presentation, but it's like, we'd, we'd love to get her to present if, if you could reach out to her. And I'm thinking, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll, I'll t- you know, uh, I was thinking I'll take care of it, and then I was thinking it's like, well, actually, Lauren knows her, and so why don't I use this as an opportunity to instead of you know me being the the instead of being like the helicopter parent that goes in and, and takes care of everything, um, give this as an, as an opportunity for for Lauren to reach out and make the connection. So um, she reached out to. Uh, Mel McGee, um, who is, uh, she runs her own company and she's also passionate about wearable computing. She has been for, for a long time and, um, uh, see if she wanted to talk and, and, you know, the other part was, you know, having, um, 
women, you know, two women back to back present at the Akron Lug, would, I think is like a world record um, for the Akron Lug. Um, so that that was a, another compelling thing. And so we, uh, uh, Lauren reached out to her and said, yeah, she could do it and everything. And uh, Lauren closed the loop back with uh, the guys that run the Akron Lug and confirmed it and everything. And Lauren went to see the presentation last night. It was it was a big success. So um, she was able to do all the coordination and um, all by herself. So I was, I was really proud of her. Oh, that's great. It sounds like she's got a future as a sales rep. Uh, did she have like steps to close and stuff? Um, I, I helped her out as far as, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of it was just follow up and, and, mm-hmm. you know, how to phrase things and, and, and things like that. And going back to the previous episodes of getting people to how to, how to say no and, and how to prevent people from saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and, uh, I coached her, but it was all her words and, and she did it all. So it was, That's it was awesome. a good deal. Proud, mm-hmm. proud dad moment. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And, 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 you know, it wasn't just that one task, but I think it's, you know, whenever you talk about building a personal brand and, you know, Lauren knows a lot of people and, and you have this cross section of the people she knows at the lug. They're, they're the ones that the folks that she knows from working at Case Western and all the different pockets, you know, the think box, um, uh, business incubator up in Cleveland and all that. And I think her being able to make those connections and, you know, be the intersection between a lot of different communities is, is a really cool thing and, and seeing her be able to do that. So it's not just going to take the classes, but getting to meet people and, and uh, make introductions um, is really powerful. That's wonderful. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, what do you say to I got two hungry dogs here. I got to go feed. Yeah. And everybody has to go watch that uh, onion video. Seriously. Go watch that onion video. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, well, Dave, uh, if uh, folks want to catch up uh, on that Onion video, where do they go? Yeah, they need to go to dgshow.org. So it's D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. All right. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>